welcome back to my podcast. My name's Abby, and today I will be talking about a pretty tough subject. I'm going to address a topic shown throughout the book Columbine, which is the impact of heroes and role models in the event and the time leading up to the Jurassic shooting. Before getting into the book, I have an example of a true role model here at my school. My class held a panel discussion asking many questions to staff about the different emotions during that time and how some of them would react. A current teacher, Mr. Jange, really opened a new outlook on school rules. Somebody had asked him, what is your opinion on the topic of teachers being able to carry guns in school in the near future? And he had an answer right away. He explained many, many reasons why teachers should never be able to carry guns around school students 18 and younger. He expressed that in the event of a threat in the school, the gun would have to already been locked up and out of sight and that by the time he gets to it, it would already be too late. He also brings up the fact that he is not trained to hold or shoot a gun, and that there is even police officers that can't shoot their targets, so he could likely end up shooting someone else instead. And lastly, he urged the idea that if he knew the shooter, like the shooter had been a close student of his, he wouldn't even have the heart to shoot that student because of their close connection. Mr. James truly resembles a role model to anybody believing that law should be put that law should be put in place. He gives a valid reasoning to the fact that we shouldn't bring the initial problem in, but we should take the necessary action to ensure school safety and prevent shootings. Mr. Jaynes is a true hero and role model. Now on to the book Columbine. In part one, the author introduces Dave Sanders. He was a loving friend, husband, and coach to many. He's described by his students as if he had his own way of making everybody feel safe and that his instinct was just to save kids. Um, Those are both read on page 47 and page 21. His family felt the same exact way. Um, After the tragedy, his daughter said, I don't even think he thought about it. That was on page 47. And in the event of the shooting, Dave Sanders was labeled as a hero. There was a case in which a student witnessed Sanders run across the room unprotected, waving his arms to get the kid's attention, and stayed behind until everybody had passed. Because of Dave Sanders' selfless and courageous acts, he soon lost his life, dying a hero and role model to everybody involved, and even people that were not. In this next part, you will be hearing an interview with Connie Sanders, which is Dave Sanders' daughter. My dad saved hundreds of kids. He was outside and he saw what was happening and ran into the cafeteria and jumped up on the tables and told everybody to get down and move out. And then he ran up the stairs towards the library, um, I'm guessing to try to tell more kids to run and hide. And he was shot right outside of the library. Now, in part two, the author introduces a boy named Danny Borbo. He had been shot and killed outside Columbine High School. Danny had many goals and lived his life to be a role model to many and made his dad very proud. Um, On page 103, it states that a few months ago, Danny had come to the decision. College was not for him. He would go straight into business after Columbine, making a career of it. Brian was ecstatic. In three years, he would make his son a partner. In four weeks, Danny was going to spend his first summer working at the shop full-time.
Danny had strong courage and goals, considering he was only a sophomore. He wished to pursue them, and his dad, Brian, only had him to look forward to and see grow. But unfortunately, Brian saw his son lying on the ground outside his own high school. He lived as a role model and died a hero, fighting for others and their safety. This is how Danny's dad, Brian, described him as. Daniel was a very shy, gentle kid, very intelligent. He had become a straight-A student. He was the last person you'd expect to be willing to stand in front of other people to speak. And yet on his own, he chose to join the debate team at Columbine. Out of the clear blue sky at the dinner table one night, he asked me about something that he had heard about in the debate class. He asked me if I knew there were loopholes in the Brady Bill. Two weeks later, he was killed with a gun that was purchased through a loophole in the Brady Bill. In part three of Columbine, the author introduces a survivor of the shooting, Craig Scott. He was a sophomore at the time, and his sister Rachel had been shot and killed. Craig was one of the students in the library. He had been with his two friends. The book reads on page 179 that Craig was spared and it helped every survivor out of the school. He goes on to tell the story of a tragic experience and the story of a sister who lost her life. Greg's Craig stands to be a role model to all involved and even those who weren't. Because of his powerful message to all, he grows to being a hero, selfless, and helping people process what he had to. Here is how Craig Scott lives on to tell his sister Rachel's story. Instead, Rachel's family created a nonprofit spreading that message of kindness, and Craig tells her story to students across the country, even publishing an open letter of forgiveness to the Columbine shooters. Why was it important for you to write those words for the world to see? The shooters wanted to make a negative impact on this world, so my decision was that I want to leave a bigger impact, but in a positive way. Mom Beth says she blames the gunman, but has since made an unimaginable connection. Introduced in part four is the idea of acting as a role model from someone you wouldn't expect it from. Both Tom and Sue Claybold had raised Dylan, the mastermind of the shooting at Columbine. After the shooting, it came to light that they both didn't know anything about their son's plan. They wrote condolence letters to all the families that had lost their loved ones because of their own son. Page 255, the author shows a letter written by them to Misty Bernal, a victim's mother. She was moved enough that she expresses the Claybolds as a gener- as generous and courageous. Because of their strong acts of apology, they show their large amount of courage, labeling them both as role models to many involved in helping people understand that they didn't know this is going to happen. In a TED Talk, Sue Claybold expresses her empathy and agony for what her son has put people through and she has come to terms with the fact that she has to apologize for what her son did because he isn't here to do it himself and she has to explain to people that she didn't know what was going on and she couldn't have stopped it she didn't know what her son was going through until months after the shooting and 
she spreads her word positively and tries helping other people that may have been going through the same thing or can connect with their kids on a different level so that things like this don't happen. And lastly, in part five of the book, the author reflects on a woman named Anne Marie. She had been a survivor of Columbine and lives to tell her story freely. She had dropped out of school and had no job. She was miserable and doctors kept trying to approach on her spine. Nothing worked. She wallowed in it for a while and then she had enough. She went back to school, majored in business, and equipped her house to her wheelchair. Anne-Marie was shot in the spine um, in the Columbine shooting and lives to tell her story about her tragic experiences and how she has grown from it and she has dealt with her pain over the years after. Here is Anne-Marie's story. That day started out as any other day. I went to class in the morning, met up with my friends, and we decided to sit outside for lunch because that was the first nice day in April. My name's Anne-Marie Hochalter, and I was injured in the Columbine shootings. Before I was injured, I was a very, very, very shy person. It forced me to come out of my shell. I think now, you know, on the on the other side of, you know, what happened to me, I gained faith. Anne-Marie expresses an important story that even something so tragic that happened to her and that she lived through, she continues to tell her story every single day so that people can grow and grieve with her and get through things so tragic but she spreads it in a positive way labeling her as a role model to anybody involved and can be labeled as a hero to people that were and weren't involved in the shooting I define a hero as someone who listens understands they're courageous not judgmental or selfless and takes action when seeing a problem, even if it is small. Um, they try to make a change with full effort. They don't expect a reward in return. Um, they don't have to be extravagant like a superhero, um, like the superheroes we see on TV. And they, when they see a problem, they make a change. And people like Mr. Jeans, Anne Marie, Craig Scott. Tom and Sue Claybold, Dave Sanders, and Daniel Borbo, they stand to be role models and heroes, surviving or not, injured or not. They, they see a problem and they want to make a change, even if it's the littlest, but they're selfless. They don't want a reward. They, they do it out of the kindness of their hearts to help other people, and I think that it's very, very important. And it's a very common thing in our world today. There's bad influences and good, and the good make positive... My, they make positivity more and more relevant, and I think that's very important. 
So thank you for listening to my podcast today. I hope you enjoyed um, and I hope you carry on the messages from every single person involved in Columbine and whether they survived or not, but they all share an important story, which is to spread positivity and carry on stories of loved ones. Thank you.